So I'm glad to have everybody here today. Um, if you have not been here with us, we have been in a series called Real Change over the past several weeks. And so I want to uh, give you a quick recap of uh, what's been going on in case you haven't been here the whole time. Uh, three weeks ago, we talked about the presence of God and the power of God. And really, I tried to encourage you just to not let those big topics pass you by. That a lot of times, um, if we've been in church, it seems that power of God, presence of God becomes some well-known jargon to us, and we just get so acquainted with it that talking about those topics can sometimes become difficult because of the familiarity that, that we have with them. So we talked about how when we do have real change, the presence of God and power of God is, is very much involved in that and to be a pursuer of, of those things. Uh, two weeks ago, uh, I canceled church due to the ice apocalypse that we had in our city. And so uh, we did not have church on, on uh, two weeks ago. And then last week, we talked about the word. We talked about its relevance to us. We gave a little bit of history and how it came to be and how it found us. And we talked about versions of it, translations, a lot of fun stuff. But mostly what I wanted you to walk away with is, again, that when it comes to change, the word is involved. We got to have uh, scripture in our lives to constantly shape us into becoming more like Christ. It's the biggest tool and resource that we have as followers of Jesus who are desiring to be more like him. And so today, as uh, we start to land this series, um, I really want to talk about staying free because we've talked about being free. And so I want to talk about what it means to stay free. I think in any other, um, in any other context, when we talk about, uh, about freedom and, and, and being free and staying that particular way, um, we would call that a relapse, okay? When I was growing up, we called it backsliding. We had, you know, we would, we would have these moments where we're just like really on fire for God. And if I talk about my youth days, it would be like going to church camp or to uh, some type of conference or convention. And I'd always come back and I'd be really motivated. You know, I'd be into, in, into the word. I'd want to tell my friends about God and the best that I could. And I, I'd, I'd want to live right and... Um, all of those things. And then it seems like after, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, we start to just calm down and kind of self-soothe and get back into a rhythm of our old behaviors. And, um, but God wants us to stay free. He wants us to be able to take this freedom and live it out on a daily basis, to be able to take the freedom that happened at the cross and live that out every day, whether you're in the ministry or the marketplace, it doesn't matter we all get to experience this freedom. So I want to set this up by using a metaphor this morning. And I want to just kind of talk for just two minutes and set, set this up about where some of you could be right now in your walk with God. Okay? So I want you to imagine with me, if, if you will, that you've been on this journey with Christ for whatever time is is relevant to your story. So it could be a year, five years, 10 years, 50 years, whatever it is, you've been walking with Christ. And during that particular time, 
you've learned a lot, you've changed a whole lot, you've, you've learned a lot maybe about relationships and church and the, the whole journey and what it means to have faith and what it, what it feels like to have a prayer that you prayed that didn't have the outcome that, that you wanted, but yet you're trying to trust the sovereignty of God. And so you come into all these challenges that every believer faces and you're on this experience with him and you're journeying through this. And it's like one day, you're cruising through your Christianity, you've got the basics down, and you're doing your best to walk out by by faith, and suddenly you have a blowout. Now, that that could be a a mishap, a misstep, a mistake, uh, you missed the mark, whatever it was, you had a blowout. So you do what people who have blowouts do. You pull over, you pop your trunk. And you get that little Weasley tire that's in, in the back of your car, and you change your flat. You put your regular tire in the trunk, and you've got it on that little bitty tire. And that little bitty tire comes with some warnings, a couple of them. The first one is this. Don't drive over 50 miles per hour on this tire. The second warning is this, don't drive further than 50 miles on on this tire. And so basically the interpretation of those two guidelines are don't drive fast and don't drive far if you're going to use this spare. But some of you had a blowout a long time ago and you're still on a spare and we know that because we saw you pull up this morning, okay? And so here you are, you found yourself to this particular day in February 2019, and you're driving on a spare. And here's why you've done that. Because you haven't taken the time or the intentionality to get to a place of restoration. One of the things that I hate is a flat tire. But what I hate second to that initial experience is having to go and get it fixed. I hate having to go and sit. I hate paying the money. I hate the wait. It feels like wasted time for me. And maybe for some of us in this room, that same irritation that you experience physically with a flat, you equate that spiritually. And so you've just decided, I'm going to stay on this spare as long as I can, maintain the pace I've got, maintain the same pattern I've got spiritually, and I'm going to go as long and far and fast as I can on this spare, okay? Now, what that does, it puts you in a, in a couple of things, okay? The first one is it places you in spiritual danger because how long can you go like that? How long can you stretch that mishap and mistake and, and missing the mark out? How long can you live holding that in your life and living your life around it? How long can we maintain that without getting rid of it? Okay. And the second thing is this. Eventually, you're going to have to start telling your blowout story to people who are asking about it. Eventually, somebody says something light like this. What's going on? You know, I see you driving on, on, on the spare. You're not acting like it like yourself. Uh, your moods are, you know, changing. You just don't seem like, like the friend that I once had. What's going on? You've started to distance yourself. You're not, you know, talking about God as much. You're missing life group. 
You're not coming as often. When you do, you don't seem present. And you've got to start telling your story to the people in your life who love you. And so that may be where some of you are. So it's, it's like you have been in a place of life where you're free, but you don't get to stay that, that way. And so I want to go back to our very first message and recap the verse that we used as the pinnacle of that message, Galatians chapter 5. Now this is from the NIV, and it says this great statement, okay? And I'm, I'm going to read it nice and slow because I, I want you to soak on it, okay? This is what it says. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourself, watch, be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. His audience is hearing him say, you are free. You are no longer rolling your sin forward. This is no longer responsible on the priests. The veil has been torn. The blood of animals is irrelevant. This is a new covenant. I am, I am the best and biggest sacrifice that could ever take place. Your freedom is purchased. And best part, it's just yours. It's free. All you got to do is receive it. And so you had this audience that was saying, I'm so glad to be free. And they're like coming to Christ and they're believing the story and the church is exploding and it's growing every, every day, but they're not staying free. They're relapsing. They're going, you know, this felt great a month ago or this felt great six months ago, but now all of a sudden I find myself bound to the same thing again but I still believe the story. I still believe that Christ died for my sin. I'm still coming to church. I'm still giving. I'm still serving. I'm still doing what I think Christians are supposed to do, but it's like I can't control the stuff in my life. He says, listen, be careful because it's possible for you to fall back under the yoke again, the yoke of slavery. I'm going to try today my, my best to encapsulate a lot of things from the New Testament authors and writers, and it seems that no matter who the author was or who their original audience was, it doesn't matter what city, it doesn't even matter sometimes the context of how I'm going to apply it this morning, it doesn't really matter too great those things because they are all saying the same things to us. And so I'm going to use those principles that seem to be just being echoed from each author and apostle and use those this morning in terms of freedom. So when we look at this verse, it is for freedom that you are free. So stand firm. Don't be burdened again. They're always talking about particularly these five things that I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to shoot you quickly with this, this morning. The freedom that God has for us always seems to involve these five areas, okay? The first one is this, freedom from guilt and shame. Freedom from guilt and shame. No matter how we come to the cross, it seems like no matter what your story is, or what background you're from, or what denomination you grew up in, or how, how, you, how you found Christ, or how Christ found you, it's like it doesn't matter what that part of our story entails, that the most important thing is that there's some common ground that we all kind of come to that with some guilt and shame. 
Because our humanity is very clear to us that if you've done any introspection at all in this place, you realize a, a lot of things. But the first thing is that you realize that you are not perfect, but you wish you were. And that creates guilt and it creates shame. And no matter what level of guilt and shame, because some of you, your story includes some stuff that, I mean, you don't even want to talk to yourself about. And then others of you, your guilt and shame revolves around these little slippery, sneaky sins that like nobody knows about except you, but you got a lot of them and you kind of live this common thread, weaves this, this, this little sneaky stuff. And others of you, it was more boisterous and out there in public. But we both come to the cross in the same way. No matter which side of that pendulum you're on, we both come with some guilt and shame. But I want to tell you this, because of your freedom, where you have closed the door, God has closed the shame. And I know I've taught you this before, but I want to revisit it for just a second. This is why repentance is so important. This is why there, there's almost this lost art of us or practice or methodology, whatever you want to call it, of us going to God and saying, forgive me of my sin. All right. Now, repentance is different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is kind of like a, I realize I've done something and I'm going to ask you right now to cover that with what you paid for on Calvary. I want that forgiveness in my life. Repentance seems to revolve around more of a cycle. It's something that I'm constantly into, and now I'm going to tell God, I am going to stop this cycle in my life, and I'm not going back to it. Okay? We know this, that pent comes from a Greek word meaning height. It's where we get our word penthouse. And so this is, it's like God is saying, this is where I want you to live. I want you to have a life and a life more abundantly, and I want it to be good for you, and I want it to be filled with joy, and I want your relationships to be healthy, and so on. But then when we fall, when we get into a cycle, when we, when we relapse, when we are burdened again by the yoke of slavery, we repent. We go back to the top. And so this is something we need to get in our lives that when we have repented, when we have asked for forgiveness, it is over. It's very hard for us because memory is a gift from God, but sometimes it feels like a curse because we remember a lot of good stuff and we remember a lot of bad stuff. But so you got to get it in your spirit that when you've repented, when it's been forgiven, when you've closed the door on it, God has closed the shame, all right? You are truly, and I believe this is for somebody this morning, you are truly and deeply forgiven. You are truly and deeply forgiven. I want you to say that out loud with me this, this morning. I am truly and deeply forgiven, right? When God looks at me, he sees me as someone who's been forgiven. It is okay for you to like yourself again. All right? I'm going to tell you something. And do you know that it's actually terrible theology for you to love God and hate yourself? 
It's actually dangerous theology. If you'd be like, Lord, I love you. I'm so thankful for you. I don't know where I'd be without you. And man, I hate me. It's terrible theology. Because God loves you. And he wants you to love you too. Okay? So you got, you got to get out of guilt and out of shame. And don't fall back into that, that yoke of slavery. If you've asked God to forgive you and you've repented of it, it's over regardless of what it was. Regardless of the sin, the action, the thought, the outcome, the repercussion, doesn't matter. If you have repented of it and turned from it, he has closed the door as you have closed the door, and it's over. Don't fall back into that yoke of slavery. Don't be burdened again by your past, all right? The second thing, bruises and bitterness. Bruises and bitterness. This is, this is where your soul gets punched, okay? It's those things where like a marriage ended. It's those things where the church hurt you. It's those things where you prayed a prayer that didn't have the outcome you wanted. And you get that, that nauseous, hurtful, bitter, bruised, achy feeling inside your spirit you can't really point to it. You just know you feel bad. It's like the spiritual flu. I just ache. I can't point to any particular reason or cause. It's just in there, okay? And this happens to people spiritually. You can have something happen spiritually and emotionally that affects you physically. You can be physically sick about where you are with God, just like you can be physically sick about where you are in, in your marriage, Okay, how many of you have, have kids? Okay, four of you. Okay, great. We need to work on that. How many of you have kids? Don't deny them. Yeah, there you go. How many of y'all are proud of them? I'm just going to see if we got the same amount of hands. Okay. How many of you have ever worried yourself sick over your children? Sure. Okay, the rest of y'all are terrible parents. <laughs> We're going to have a conference at the end of this. Okay. Bruises and, and bitterness. Satan will give you a cup of bitterness if you're willing to, to drink it. I've told you guys many times about some of the church horror stories that we have. If you've been following God for any length of time, you've got a bad church story. And I was serving this church one time. I was a worship pastor. I know that scares some of you. It should. And I was a worship pastor at a church, and a friend of mine went to a church that was really broken was really unhealthy. And he said, hey, why, why, don't, why don't you come to this church with me and I want you to try and do here what you did there. And what he meant was this. I didn't know it until I got there, but this church was in the middle of a worship war, okay, is what I've always called it. He said, I, I, I want to transition this church from a very, very traditional church to a more modern feel. And I want to do that in every way. I want to do it with the building. I want to do it with the staff. I want to do it with the way our service feels. I want to transition the church. So I went. And this is how Sunday went. I'm not making this up. We would get up and the first stage was he wanted me to do a few hymns. And then he wanted me to do a few modern songs like what we would do this morning. So I would open the hymn book up, and I'd be like, let's all turn to page 150. Oh, I want to see him. How many of you want to see him? You remember when worship pastors used to do that? You had to ask a question about the hymn. 
Okay, there's eight of you that grew up the way I, I did. Okay. Let's turn to 240, everybody. We'll be happy over there. How many of you are glad you're going to be happy over there? And the church will be like, I'm so happy I'm going to be happy over there. And then you'd sing, everybody will be happy over there. <laughs> and then here's what, what, what happened. This really transpired. When I opened up the hymn book, half the church would stand and the other half would sit. And I was like, this is so bizarre. And then I'd go to the modern songs and the hymn people would sit. And the modern folks would stand. And it infuriated me. I wanted to preach about hell almost every single Sunday there. <laughs> and so I was like, we got two options. Either we got to leave or a bunch of y'all have to die to fix this problem. Okay. It, it, it hurt, man. It was just a bruise. It was an achy, sick bruisy, bitter feeling. And here I was on staff at a church. My alarm would go off at 6.30 on Sunday mornings, and I'd be like, ah, why can't it be Monday? I mean, it's bad when you pray for Monday, right? Especially when you're a pastor there. Just bruisy, bitter. And we've all had that. We've all had those moments where we're concerned about this, concerned about that, concerned about ourselves, concerned about other people, and it's spiritual, it's spiritual tension, and we're, we're really bruisy in bitterness. And Paul says, listen, you don't need to fixate on that and obsess about those things. You do not need to fall prey and fall back under the yoke of being bitter and being bruised, Okay? And here's what's really sad. I've always said this about our church, is that we really love de-churched people. And if you've never heard that, what that basically means is these were people who were once involved in a church, maybe serving a church, maybe pastoring a church. Maybe they taught a Sunday school class. Maybe they played an instrument, whatever it was. And now for whatever reason, they no longer even go to church. Do you know that our county is extremely high in de-church de people. People who right now, this morning, as we're in church together, have made a conscious decision, I am not going to go anymore to church. I don't care where it's at. I don't care who it is. I don't care what it believes. I'm not going. I'm out. What is that? Falling back under a yoke of bruising and bitterness. And if you're not careful... It will steal your entire relationship with God away. The third thing, the expectations of other people. If you don't think this is a big deal, I want you to take a psychological view at social media. Okay? And I'm not against social media. I use it all of the time. It's a great tool. However, it's full of lies. People put their best foot forward. Man, we got all these filters, and we're like, you know, putting our bodies on there and trimming them back about 40 pounds, and we got our skin is perfect, and our, we're showing our lives. This is my life. Isn't it great? And then when only nine people like it, you're mad about it. That's a great picture. I can't believe only nine people like this. It's terrible. We want the affirmation of other people. It's very important to us. Because we have expectations to live up to. We, we're all in the, caught up, if you're not careful, in this, in this pattern of outdoing, out-earning, um, 
the way we look, the way we present, where, where we live, what we drive, it's the same thing humanity's been after forever. We're just now part of it. And if you're not careful, your expectations of others override the expectations that God has for you. So somewhere in what so-and-so thinks about you and so-and-so thinks about you and so-and-so thinks about you, you lose who you really are. And suddenly your identity becomes what they say you are. And you lose complete confidence when that doesn't e e exist. I've seen people quit jobs and completely fall apart because their entire identity was wrapped up in that one place. You have people who lose a friend and their entire life falls apart. Depressed, anxious, I'm so terrible, I'm a loser. And all the self-talk becomes so damaging. Why? Because they've built their lives around what other people think and expect of them. This could really be said as the pressure to conform. And the truth is, there's the pressure of conformity in a lot of places. Your job, your family, your church. Sometimes the, the pressure to conform is just there, okay? I remember when I was 16 years old, the very first time I thought, I think I want to preach the gospel. I think I want to teach the word. I just had this inquenchable desire, okay? Now, I'm not lying about this. I was 16 years old. Of course, I have nowhere to go speak. So I would go back into my, my bedroom, and I would lock the door, and I had a jam box, okay? If you do not know what a jam box is, it was two speakers typically and a cassette player in the middle. Come on, baby. Had a handle on it. You could throw it up on your shoulder and like, uh, yeah, okay? Jam box. I'd put it on my bike, ride around, point at people, Okay? I would put like some black gospel on there and I'd work up the atmosphere. Oh yeah, come on. And then I'd preach to nobody. And then I'd give an altar call to nobody. But they were very successful in here and that's what matters. Okay? And I remember just being like, okay, I, you know, I got this thing going on inside. I don't know what to do with it. My dad's not in the ministry. My grandpa's not in the ministry. I got nobody to go to. I don't know who to talk to. What do I do with all this desire and all this stuff? So I'm just going to watch people. So it looked like, okay, no, just hear me. This is going to tell you how old I am. But it, it looked like the people who were successful were wearing suits and ties. So I go to my mom. I need a suit and tie. That's just it. This is the key to success. I need a suit and a tie. So she's like, all right, if that's what you want, we'll get you a suit and tie. But everybody your age is like, you know, in blue jeans and what I said, I don't care. I got the gospel in me. I need a suit and a tie. So I got a suit and a tie. Still had nowhere to go. I'd go to my church. I'd be like, hey, what, what, what can I do? They'd be like, go clean the baptistry. Here's some bleach, some gloves. Here's a mask. We don't want you passing out in there. I'd scrub. I'd set up tables and chairs when I became a youth pastor. It was the same thing. Tables, chairs, tables, chairs, tables, chairs. I used to tell everybody who, who would listen. Every youth pastor in the world is automatically going to heaven. They have to because they have to set up tables and chairs for the marriage supper of the Lamb. They are going. Okay? I was doing all these things, but I never got an opportunity to, uh, to teach. So I, 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 I noticed this. Every pastor had a briefcase. So I went and got me a briefcase. What was in it, you ask? A Bible and a highlighter. <laughs> Show up. Just give me a second here. Bible. It's 
all about the business. See, suit, tie, briefcase, Bible highlighter, I'm ready, I'm good to go, ready to teach the gospel. The expectation of other people can be very, very, very heavy. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, We don't aim to please men, but to please God, watch, who knows us through and through. And I love that. The repetition of that word screams thoroughness. He knows you. He knows your weakness. He knows what, what you're mad about. He knows what you're hurt about. He knows all these things about your life. He knows your strengths. He knows your talents. He knows the calling. He knows what he sees in your future five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. He knows who, you, who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have. And he's orchestrating your life to grow you into the dream. And so if you get derailed by the expectations of other people, you can find yourself way out in left field rather than walking the path that God has ordained for you. And Paul is warning us, don't fall back into what other people think about you. Okay, Get along with people? Yes. Love people? Yes. Okay? Let, let them sharpen you? Yes. If you're confronted by someone and what they're telling you is true, you might ought to look at it. But them telling you their opinions and what they think you should do with your life? No. Up to God. Okay? One of the greatest relaxing decisions of life is when you discover you are free from conformity. When you get free, it simplifies your life and it allows you to take all that energy that you've been expending on pleasing other people and aim that toward God and say, God, I just want to please you. Okay? Number four, controlling desires. This is a big one. Has been since the beginning. Adam and Eve fell over, over this. Okay? You have two, two trees, pick one. They picked the wrong one. And Satan even used a nice little trick on, on, on this one. We think, you know, and most of us in this room, we think of Satan presenting evil. But when Adam and Eve fell, he actually presented this angle. If you do this, you'll be like, like God. Well, is, isn't that good? Yeah, that's good. That's good, isn't it, Eve? Yeah, that's good. Let, let's do it. Okay? Controlling desires. I love this conversation we're about to see here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And what you're going to see is an argument that Paul is about to address here. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, now this, this statement can only be made by a man who has life experience. It's not just because Paul is smart, and he is. It's not just because he's educated, and he was. This is because this guy lived out some life. And so what you're seeing is an argument and somebody says, hey, hey, Paul, I got the right to do anything. And Paul says, you say that, but not everything is beneficial. And then he echoes him and he says this, I do have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Meaning this, the freedom Christ gave us Yes, we can do anything we want. You can leave today and do whatever your mind wants to do, but not all of it is beneficial. And he says, hey, listen, you've got a lot of freedom. You are not bound to anything. You are free from everything, but don't be mastered in the course of living out freedom. 
Okay, that comes from a lot of experience. He's basically saying this, I had the right and then the right had me. Okay, this is where we get in trouble is we think and our confidence tells us that we can dabble a little bit in desires and enjoy it and have the freedom of it, but then suddenly it's got you. And Paul's saying, that's what you got to be careful for, okay? He tells us in Galatians, don't fall again into the yoke of slavery, and now he's telling us, don't be mastered by anything. This is a serious conversation. And so you have to have that in, in your mind. I mean, let, let's, let's be really honest. I don't want you to raise your hand, but let's be honest. How many of you have ever either said to yourself or you've heard someone else say, I can't stop doing, and then they fill in a blank. I mean, I'm 45, and I've heard it hundreds, maybe thousands of times. I, I just can't stop. I can't stop eating. And I can't stop cursing, and I can't stop being angry, and I can't stop dating losers, and I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And suddenly they realize that what they have the freedom to do, you can date anybody, but it's not, not everybody's beneficial. You can say any word you want, but not every word is beneficial. You can use any emotion you want, but not every emotion is beneficial to that. And Paul is saying, don't be mastered by your freedoms, because you are free. And you're so free that it's dangerous. You're dangerously free. So be careful. Don't fall again in, into this. This type of behavior is very hedonistic. And hedonism says, do your thing, right? Right? If it feels good to you, do it. Do you know that one of the first statements in the Satanic Bible is do what you will? That is the whole of the law. That's what it says. It's hedonistic. Do you feel light, like doing it? Then do it. Does it feel great to you? Do it. Does your choices want to go in that direction? Do it. Follow it. But it's, it's dangerous, Okay. If you hear someone say, I'm free to live any way I want, that they're not free. They're a slave to their own desire. Years ago, there was an article in Playboy magazine about Ernest Hemingway. I didn't read it. David Bunting was telling me about it. <laughs> but I'm a man of the cloth. I don't. But he brought it to me, and I had to consider the source. The article talks about how Hemingway has no regard for God, okay? And it's boasting, okay? The things I'm sharing with you came out of that, that article. It says, he lives his life completely unbridled, substance abuse, illicit relationships. He lives without morals. And at the end of the article, it's boasting, okay? It's building it up to this, to this, to this, this apex. And he says, how could someone so untamed... Have a life so full of success. The closing line of the article is a quote from the Bible, and it says this, quote, The wages of sin is death, but obviously for Ernest Hemingway, it paid off big. Six months later, Hemingway committed suicide by a shotgun to his head. 
His last writings were, my life is as empty as a vacuum tube in a television with the plug pulled out of the wall. Nothing shines through me. That's what he wrote. Hemingway was not free. He was a slave to his own sin. He was a slave to what you and I are talking about this morning. I'm going to skip the last one for you note takers who have OCD. It's the fear of death. But I want, I'm out of time and I want to finish up with, with some different things. Let me finish with this. So how, how do I stay free? Okay. Give me three, three minutes to this. The first one is you need to salvage simple. Bring your life back to the simplicity. Hear me, don't, don't let this pass you by. Why did I come to Christ to begin with? Okay, forget all the wrestlings with theology. Forget all of the opinions. Forget all of those things. And just ask yourself, why did I come to him in the first place? Because when you strip down everything away from it, this is still very beautiful. And when you salvage simple, and when you get back to the point of really getting it again, I'm free, and I don't want to go back into slavery. I don't want to be the 40-year-old version of the 20-year-old me. I want to be free. Salvage simple. Okay, spend some time today stripping that down and going, why did I come to Christ to begin with? Right? The second thing is this. I know this is not a shoebox, but it's playing the role of one. There's a great story in Luke 22, 49. I talk about this sometimes when I'm on, on this topic. So if you've been with me for any length of time, you've heard me talk about this guy. It's one of my favorite stories because it's so quick. It's over, but it's loaded with depth. Luke chapter 22, there's this character. The people have rushed into the garden to take Christ captive to arrest him. And there's the assistant to the priest. The Bible tells us his name is Malchus. And Malchus is, is the one who shows up and he reaches out to put his hand on Jesus. And Peter, being having the mood disorder he does, he pulls his sword out and cuts this guy's ear off. I mean, how awesome is that? Jesus, you know he's going, I told you not to mess with that guy. He's the only one here that you don't have to mess with. And Jesus does something amazing. He reaches down, he grabs the ear, whoom, puts it back on. That's my sound bite for healing, by the way. Whoom. Okay. He puts the ear back on. Here's why I think he did it. Okay. Kevinology. This is why I think, I think he did it. Because Malchus could have taken his ear and put it in a shoebox. And he would spend the rest of his life carrying it around. Maybe he comes to new, new, new life and he, he lifts his hand and he worships. And offering comes, he reaches down, he gives some money. He's shaking hands, high-fiving. The whole time he's got his ear in here. Eventually, one of you, the type D personality that you have, you're going to go up to him and go, Hey, Malchus, what's in a box? And I've, you've been here for a year every, every Sunday. I mean, you put it beside it and set your coffee on top of it. And I mean, what's in the box? He says, well, I mean, you don't, you don't really want to know what, what happened. It's just, 
just part of my story. Um, maybe some other time. I'll, I mean, do you really want to know? Okay, um, well, <laughs> this is what happens when you get close to Christians. And so, like, they just, uh, you know, I was hanging out one time, um, really close to them. And there's a guy, like, he was like, it's like Jesus and then him. And, and that guy, the one who's closest, they're talking about, you know, building churches now, but he cut my ear off. Yeah, that guy, the massive church planter, covers of magazines, packing out coliseums to hear him speak. He cut my ear off. So, I mean, I, I try to come to church and I lift my hand and I give some money, but I mean... You don't see this getting fixed, do you? I think Jesus healed the ear to give us some depth on this topic. Because some of you could be here today with this. And in it, it's, it's not an ear, but it's something. It's a conversation where you got hurt and it's got a pastor's name in it or a life group leader or a Sunday school teacher or a deacon or an elder or a mom or a dad somebody who had an open door to your heart did or said something and now this is part of your story and you got to trade in your shoebox or you're going to find yourself spending your entire youth and energy in your life focusing on telling this story and why you'll just continue to come and sit on the front and put your coffee on this. At some point, you have to, to take this to God. And you have to tell him, I'm exhausted by this. I'm tired of of carrying it around, and I'm, telling, I'm tired of telling the story. I'm tired of talking about the hurt and the wound and trying to dance around names and protect people that I'd really like to throw under a physical bus. I need this to be over, okay? So maybe that's where you're at today, and this is your falling again under the burden of the yoke of slavery. Okay. Hurt is real. Hurt is significant. And I'm not making light of it. But I'm telling you, metaphorically, this is happening. Okay. I want you to bow your heads with me. I need to end. I want to talk to your heart for just 60 seconds. You're here today.